here we go. And action. Mm. Shut up, Jason. Welcome to episode four of season two of the Such Nerds podcast. I am your host, Dan from Los Angeles, along with my co-host, Peter from Long Island, and Jason from Connecticut. Thanks, guys. We are working through section two, the mule of uh, the second book, Foundation and Empire of the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. We'd like to start this week off with Jason reading some fan mail. Jason. Yeah, happy to, Dan. Yeah, this first one is a repeat, actually, from somebody from our uh, first season. Uh, this is from Jonesing for a Break from Nonfiction. And they say... Love that guy. Such a good, such a good fan, yeah. <laughs> um, Would you say that you have fan mail from a male fan? An M-A-I-L-F-A-N, yes. Yeah, he's a big fan of the mail. <laughs> or chain mail? Chain so, yeah. so the message Welcome back to our Renaissance podcast. <laughs> so the message reads, Holy Haven, you have added some color to your outro. Just when I thought it couldn't get any better. Are you by chance planning on taking your theme music on tour? We're not we haven't really reached John Carpenter level of a fandom yet. I think we need to Maybe make a few more, you know, horror masterpieces to, uh, you know, really build an audience, guys. But I'm thinking, you know, like there's there's a potential audience out there. If we just do like variations on a theme, they'll just take the theme music, do it, you know, start out heavy, go a little, you know, very mm-hmm. classical, you know, a lot of arpeggios, that kind of thing. Then go a little jazzy, then get funky and then end with a blues jam. I think we're in pretty, you know, we could have a, put a show together. How many, how many cities do you think our fan will follow us to? (laughs) Well, to put it in context, you know, we used to, uh, we used to have about eight listens in the first week, eight downloads in the first week. And now we're, we've got close to 20 downloads in the first week of a, of a posting. So I feel like, you know, you know, there's a few places out there that people might actually show up to that kind of show, you know. Dan, Dan those bots that you are employing are actually... Yeah. <laughs> Most of them are just me under under subtitles and the Podbean infrastructure. Dan but underscore one. The problem one. is we have to expand out our set list. From... Dan underscore two, Dan underscore three. <laughs> Exclamation point, Dan. Dan, Dan no Calvacian, my alter, my alter creator. You know? uh, I think we could. We have to expand the set list out, but... You know, there's only so much time in any given week to, to record and edit podcasts and also record exactly. and edit theme music. But right. we like to we like to inject, you know, so, some different approaches and, and so color keep, keep people listening right to the very end because right. we know we know people you know ex- appreciate the entire such nerd experience and part of it is intro music, outro music voiceovers from from various relatives um science fiction dune puns you know soup to nuts yeah there's there's actually one more here and uh nice this is what uh what i think will be one of those around the horn type questions where we'll each have to kind of provide our own version of the answer there have been so many great galactic swears that we have encountered to this point of the series what is your favorite galactic swear, and have you incorporated it into your everyday life? Peter, do you want to start us off? I mean, the only one that really comes to mind is Great Space. That's the only one that I can actually remember. So it's made the biggest in, you know, impact on me. 
Maybe because it's so lame. <laughs> that might be the reason that I remember it. It's the vanillas, the, the vanillas of swear words. Yeah, it, it seems like something like, you know, my five-year-old would come up with. You, you didn't think Great Galloping Galaxies was lamer? No, Great Galloping Galaxies is great. Oh, okay. Because there's you have uh, alliteration on your side. Mm-hmm. Is that the right word? Yes, for for the triple G. Yeah, triple G. He called him a vacuum-headed peacock. That's my favorite swear. <laughs> it's a, definitely a very good insult. Bill, Bill Rios, insinuating uh, the the vacuum of space, right? Or, yeah. Or just as the resident vacuum-headed yes. peacock, I approve. Peacock. But, I mean, peacocks are not known for their great intellect, so I don't but, know. But, but they're not known for their vacuosity either. I mean, maybe not in this galaxy. <laughs> Galaxy's far, far away. Here's a here's a good question. What's your favorite? Well, Jason, you still have to answer. Okay, thank what's you. What's your Peter. favorite? Yeah, sorry. What's your favorite it's, swear? What's your favorite swear word? So I'm I'm kind of partial to black space. I think it's just like it's it's intense, <laughs> you know. But um, to to Peter's point about the impact of great space. I thought it was hilarious, and I actually started saying it around the house. And I, yeah, um, I think I shared that podcast. Yeah, you said that your daughter had, had your daughter had yeah, started I saying. I think it. I played that podcast for my kids, and and they thought it was funny too. And then uh, it it didn't happen right away, but it was like weeks later, maybe more than a month later. <clears throat> my daughter got this little alien figurine from the dentist. And as she opens it, she holds it up in the air and she says, great space. <laughs> awesome. Class. Yeah. I think that needs to be incorporated into, <laughs> into the podcast somehow. I'm going to turn it over to Peter for a quick summary of the three chapters we're going to be covering tonight. Well, thank you for that lovely introduction, Dan. So in this section, there's a conference being held among the traders about the mule's meteoric rise to power and whether or not the foundation is actually threatened by the mule or if the foundation's safe with Selden's predictions. They're trying to figure out who to put their strength behind. Meanwhile, Beta and Magnifico are being interrogated at Ebling Mess's estate about the mule's various mutant powers, like his enormous size and strength. Miz and the mayor argue about how safe the foundation is and finally settle in on making a decision in nine weeks when Harry Selden's vault opening is supposed to occur. Nine weeks later, the Selden Vault opens, which is surrounded by a whole parade-like ceremony. Selden reveals that he is expecting that the Foundation itself has grown stagnant and dictatorial with an anticipated rebellion from the traitor planets. Everyone goes into a panic when they realize that Selden has not predicted the rise of the mutant and the mule, and panic spreads. In the closing of the chapter, we find out that the Foundation planet of Terminus has fallen to the mule. Hey, yeah, a lot to, lot to unpack in those three chapters. Um, that last one's pretty exciting. Well, we can brief, touch briefly on the, the the first first section. You know, we'd, we'd met our, our friends Fran and, and Randu, and basically they're essentially on the on one of the trader planets with a bunch of other traders, uh, kind of just at a conference. But it, it's interesting to see the way they interact with each other. It's almost like a, a throwback to the the days when uh, the Foundation was against the empire. Uh, the empire. Uh, in the old in the old days, but you know the the idea that the traders have all these ships and they're just kind of almost operating as a an offshoot of the foundation, not neither on neither one side nor the other. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they're not more tightly affiliated with the foundation anymore. You would think that that would be prime concern, like trying to ensure that loyalty and and keep that as part of the operation, right? Yeah, they, I think you know it's it seems clear that. You know the whole the whole chapter. I was kind of seeing throwbacks to to what we read early on in the uh, Salver Harden days with regards to in sort of ineffective mayor in place, thinking he knows what's going on. I was at, hearkening back to when they kept saying, "Oh, well, do we have a treaty? We have a treaty." You know, in the initial days, uh, and it's clear that they don't. The mayor seems to be of that same vein, where yeah. oh, you know, I know what's going on. I'm in control of things, and it's clear that he's not in control at all. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a recurring theme in these novels, right? Is that, that like the guy in control doesn't have the control, doesn't have the capability, doesn't, you know, he's just a figurehead, right? <clears throat> and there's some kind of revolution that happens. 
and he gets kicked out of power essentially. Yeah. And then control goes to like where it needs to be essentially. I think it's a little bit more than that. Even when I look at this mayor Inber, he's living in a little bit of a fantasy. That's the impression I get similar to you, you guys like of those, the pretentious visitor to the periphery and some of these other clowns that they have this kind of like view of the world that it, you know, we talked about it last time or the time before, like but the, the children of summer, friend. like everything's easy. Yeah. And they're in this position of power and they think they understand everything, but they don't even have a clue because right. they haven't had to face that hardship or haven't had to be trialed by fire or whatever mm-hmm. to get to their current position. They're yes. not cynical enough. They're not cynical enough. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, the mayor, they say he's eventually a bookkeeper. He has, you know, he has all the skills of just being a guy who all he wants to do is check boxes and move papers around. And then the actual leadership required the first time he has to do anything, he faints and then wakes up just to surrender. And then <laughs> the entirety of his leadership. Yeah, he basically had a seizure when some documents were out of place on his desk. So, yeah. One line that stuck out to me in Selden's speech at the end, where he kind of talks about how the inevitable civil war happened because the, you know, the foundation was sort of fat and dumb and happy and, you know, inevitably some elements that were not. Uh, had, had quote unquote revolted against him, which it seems like was already in the plans of the traders, but to kind of not put aside because of the mule. The two points I, I took from it. So the one, there was one line where <clears throat> Selden says the element of striving is restored as a result of the civil war, which kind of harkens back to what we had talked about with regards to the foundation getting a little bit decadent. That decadent, exactly. That's the word I'm looking for. Decadent in terms of what they're actually doing in, in living off past successes, but almost em- empire-like in terms of how they're operating and you know it being a necessity. And it's sort of what happened. It's just not necessarily in the way. And the other thing was the fact that he sort of intimated, look, I'm at 94.2% or whatever in terms of the psychohistory projections and things are starting to you know, randomness is starting to interject in his predictions that you can't be 100% right. He's essentially right. It's just the nature at which rebel faction was sort of attacking the empire, whether it's the the one that was planning to attack but hadn't, you know, the traitor people or essentially becomes the, the mule got to it first. The the essential facts of the story are the same. It's just the the actors who are putting them, them forth are not exactly able to be predicted however many hundreds of years in the future. Right. That's the whole plot brewing of the traders saying that, you know, the foundation has gotten stagnant and we can't tolerate this level of leadership anymore. And they're starting to put plans into action. And then the mule comes out of kind of nowhere to speed things up, essentially. What I am curious about is like, what is the mule's motivations? Do we have any idea about any of that? Or is he just this indomitable force that's going to seize what's left of civilization in the universe a god emperor so to speak so yes yes part part worm part when they say mutant that's what they mean is is part worm explain why he's so strong unclear it's unclear because you know if you harken back to the beginning they they mentioned that you know a dark force sort of in the periphery you know and they 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 intimate that there's something about him that they weren't able to predict but has sort of overtaken what remains of the foundation, but it's not clear about what it actually is. And they hint at it throughout the whole time of what is, what what does mutant mean? You know, magnificently saying he can shoot energy beams out of his eyes or something like that. And, uh, you know, he's super strong and, but it's these vague, and we talked about whether that's real or not. It's hard 20 stories tall made of radiation. Yeah. Magnifico is not exactly a, you know, he doesn't exactly have his act together in terms of being a reliable witness about what's going on. He's like having essentially a nervous breakdown the entire time we have him in in scene. Part of the reason why they give him that visit sonar treatment in the middle chapter to sort of calm him down. But yeah, it's unknown. And uh, I have not read ahead. So I, I have no prediction as to what uh, what the mutant what might be. I just wanted to thank you for not reading ahead. Accepting. I mean, it, you leave right on the cliffhanger, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of wondering, it doesn't sound like it's going to be great. And, you know, I've heard the, the chapter heading is the fall of the fall of the foundation. It's like, oh, it's kind of 
What well, didn't it already a bit fall telling. by like doesn't sound great. <laughs> didn't it fall like at the end of the uh Oh like autumn, you mean? No, not like <laughs> autumn. <laughs> autumn of the foundation. Autumn of uh, autumn on terminus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's the equinox. Fantastic. <clears throat> so I have a few observations here that I thought were maybe not critical to the storyline, but I thought were pretty interesting. I like those kind. When they talk about rattle, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. that has a very connotative similarity to, or uh, I don't know what they call it, homonym, homonymous, 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 it's yeah. homonymous to rat hole. You know? Oh, and interesting. I, yeah. yeah. I didn't follow that. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but I, it, where else do you come up with the name red hole? You know? Well, it's also like, He's like, well, there's a thin strip of land that's even livable. The rest right. is either freezing cold or blazing hot. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure the, so the mechanics the, of it. But. Yeah, it, that was the, that was the other thing. Is like it, he there's a word for it. He says he call he calls it a ribbon world. Yes. And I, and the idea is that the sun blazes on one hemisphere of the planet all the time. Like it doesn't rotate on an axis like the Earth does. It just mm-hmm. faces the, you know, faces the sun all the time Mm -hmm. and the backside of the planet is constantly in darkness so there's like this only this thin strip perpetual twilight area yeah the twilight Mm -hmm. uh zone if you will yeah in between just two hemispheres where it's just just right enough that they can actually survive at one point they Mm -hmm. talk about like oxygen flowing like in like as a river in the cold portion of the of the planet yeah just oxygen so cold that oxygen yeah. is a liquid liquid oxygen yeah mm. sounds like a small place to hold a conference yeah perfect <laughs> have you guys ever seen the chronicles of riddick with Vin not. diesel yes so there's a prison planet that takes place on a ribbon world but it rotates and so like it's only accessible during certain parts of the day it's underground which always like baffled me i was like how do you build it when you know, after like 42 hours, everything gets like immolated. <laughs> like you can only op- like operate like during the nighttime. And then like as the planet is rotating, there's just like this perpetual flame wall that's rotating around the whole planet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's where Ribbon World comes from. That's awesome. I can't say that that has convinced me to see Chronicles of Riddick, unfortunately. It's a fun movie. Uh-huh. I mean, it's well, nothing mind blowing, yeah. but it's fun. It's a, it's, a, it's a planet called Seleucia Tercerius, or the, the prison planet uh, that they're operating on. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, just, you know, with our buddies, uh, you know, Fran Solo and, and Randu Calrissian tra- traveling as, like, <laughs> the Haber. That's the best guys they've got to send for Haber. Um, yeah. H- Haven. I, I thought, Haven, right? Yeah. Haven. Sure. Haven. So they were on Hoth. Maybe Haven makes you Haver. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, basically, that's like either they're essentially the the representatives from Haven. Haven has all these ships, and um, the other traders are there. They're essentially conducting official business, I guess. But uh, it's I guess they're they're quasi local council, but it seems like they have all the ships, so they they're kind of bigwigs with regards to you know kingmakers in a certain way. Um, uh, but it, but. You know, I, I, if I was them, you know, I don't know that I really want to be. And it comes out later when they're in the just before the Selden reveal, where they're trying to say, "Look, I'm not interested in giving you the foundation my ships because you know you're ineffective and probably hopeless." Mm-hmm. And you know, the probably the right decision. Right. Um, and the, the mayor is just super arrogant about the whole thing. He's yeah. like, well, "We don't need your ships." <laughs> like, yeah. Well, he's kind of like, "Oh." We, we will investigate your ties. Actually, we've already investigated them. <laughs> your ties to the Democrats, who are who are basically, you know, traitoring trade traitoring us uh, with regards to, you know, the traitor traitor thing comes in again. But yeah, betrayal you know, clearly, traitors. Clearly, the mayor. You know, he talks about it in the second chapter, the second half, where he's he's like, well, you know, the self reveal works itself out. Everything's gonna be fine. And there was the big back and forth with regards to the battle where they had uh, the battle that the mule had won and, and they were saying, well, you know, 
that's just, that's fake news. We actually won that battle. Oh, Horligor in the beginning. Horligor, Horligor. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. "Where'd you hear that from?" Like, Mule's got it. Yeah. They're they're, yeah. they're I got that from Foundation Radio. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Foundation Radio is like Pravda. <laughs> it's never wrong. Yeah, and it's and we made a point. He's like, "Well, he's staying there, and he's got his supply ships. So usually, when you lose, it's not like you're just chilling out in the battlefield, bringing in additional supplies. If you've lost, yeah, yeah. But it makes sense. It's it's all back to the same theme that this bloated, overextended empire, uh, foundation is kind of they're soft. They've gone soft. They have no, yeah. You know, they're relying upon the meta analysis approach, you know, yeah. of what they think is happening. It's like well, even when they they announce at the end, oh, they're you know they're the mule's attacking. He's like, oh no, he's not. He's totally far away. And like, well, that was like a week ago. Like, yeah, yeah. your information is twenty times up, twenty times down. The report you're getting is not relevant to reality. Yeah, that's but, why Miz like broke into his office from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we need to talk, bro. Yeah, it's gonna go down. So yeah, and it's it's pretty funny. You know, segue to one of our our popular bits. You talk about what's the most. It's almost like they've been setting up the whole time. What's the most useless, you know, nu- nucleic device that you have? And I guess the answer is all of them, since none of them work anymore. They're entire planet based off <laughs> none of the communication. Day, none none the of the, you, know, you put the field. I was trying to research what a nuclear field suppressor actually is, which it's not, I didn't really totally understand. It just like absorbs the energy from nuclear fission or, or fusion that, uh, you know, just prevents it from being released, but whatever it is, it's uh, completely. I inverted my notes. Hoisted uh, the foundation is hoisted on its own nucleic petard. <laughs> You're a petard. Because <laughs> literally, like they they make their own everything. In their entire society is based upon nucleics. They built they built it up over books now, where it's all oh, we have the knowledge of how the nuclear power plants work, and we have these shields, and everything's sort of like nucleic, 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 and that's right. the underpinning of their society technology and you know it's but in actuality there's no there's no i mean and they they say the mule comes in with his ground car and his ships are obviously powered by some other type of technology but they have one technology and when that technology fails there's nothing there the entire society shuts down nobody's watches work he's like oh my watch doesn't work kind of reminds me of like modern day and the internet like if the internet broke, if the internet broke, so many people would be completely lost, myself included. Like so much has gone on the internet at this point that you don't have access to certain things anymore. You don't have, you're not able to engage in logistics and trade and all these other things that you have become reliant upon. And it's the same idea. It'd be like as if the internet broke, like an EMP took out every server on Earth. Yeah. Oh, and now now it's also it's even as like there's no written ledger anymore. It was, there was it was researching it recently. It was for another topic, and it was like, you know, in 1994 or 90, of of documents were stored just in paper format, and like you know, within 15 years, like 90 some percent of all documents are stored electronically rather than physically anymore because oh it's great you know makes sense it's easy and cheap it's like well yeah i guess as long as you have permanently functioning electricity and permanently functioning server capacity and internet access to access those things and yes it works great you know but you under pull one of those jingle blocks out and all of a sudden nobody can tell time and uh and the mayor's the mayor's crying in a puddle and Except for we're all the mayor in this scenario. But, I mean, before, but before we get there, there's like there's a lot of other interesting things. I, I thought it was interesting that we get another data point when he uh, kind of objectifies the women at this conference of traders. They're like the accompaniment to the mm-hmm. the people who are there to do the real conferencing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we also get another taste of that, even though he's got beta as like a main character her introduction to ebling miss where he you know probes her about her marriage and then when she (laughs) says yes and he said he like further probes uh, like so are you happy about it (laughs) like like there's 
that's not the end of the, like that's not the the limit of when you stop asking like you still <laughs> keep asking more probing questions i took from that more that like uh Fra- fran solo was basically like oh well, who would get married that would be ridiculous it's more like a that that mentality of why would you marry somebody you know not that right. like each marriage going great it's like what a crazy idea getting married well they mentioned him being like you know unkempt bachelor leftist in the intro to that chapter basically he would probably it's probably you know i don't know if you've ever seen a picture of isomov what he looks like it's like he looks literally like a dickensian ebenezer scrooge character with like yeah. his comical large sideburns <laughs> balls like just yes. looks like him looks like something straight out of like 1863 looks like, looks like he would write science fiction in the like 60s. a steam engine baron or something you know <laughs> it looks like ebling misses his his uh yeah that, that was what i thought i was like somebody's projecting a bit a bit with the miss with the psychologist miss here um and i thought maybe it's just he's you know possibly could be projecting some of his similar prehistoric female views because <laughs> it seems like beta is a pretty i mean but he's writing beta as a pretty solid character she's yeah you know she's, she's got her act together she's common yeah. to go down she's over the foundation but maybe that's how he you know maybe that's how he thinks that you communicate with women. What else? What else you got? Interesting wise. That uh, I thought it was, you know, Peter was probably really happy to hear that um, they named the um, <laughs> the the hall, the concert hall, after his boy mm-hmm. Mallow. Yeah, the Mallow right. Hall. I was excited about that. Yeah. Um, the Mall- Mallow Hall all nude review. <laughs> <laughs> It's regularly a Chippendale show, but then they also have conf- concerts sometimes. <laughs> they, they also lease have, out the space. You know, Pink Floyd laser light shows on the on the business sonar, like <laughs> in your in your brain. Like it, I was rereading that chapter. I didn't get it the first time, but it's like he, it's like some sort of device that plays vision, like that bypasses your optic nerve, so it just plays on in the inside of your head without having to process through your retina or anything like that. And she was it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, that feels like a weapon of war. It sort of is. The question she kept saying is, "Well, I wonder if you know Miz is seeing the same thing that I am because it's not like there's an actual shared visual medium that's essentially broadcast directly into your skull. I wonder if right. it's broadcast the same to everybody else's skull. But it's like this prehistoric device that nobody knows how to actually use except for Magnifico, really. So I don't know if that was a throwback to like." vampire or they have these devices that nobody knows how they're used or anything yeah i mean they're they're they've been drawing parallels between the foundation you know in the second half of the book and the empire for a little while now <clears throat> and it's also falling apart right it's being torn apart by civil war so that seems to be like one of the major issues with the empire right was this constant rotation of like who's got the most authority to basically keep everybody in check, but not encourage growth in any way. And it's kind of baffling to me that this is part of the Harry Seldon plan to restore civilization to the galaxy. And that, you know, he offers essentially no guidance to avoid this kind of scenario in his reveal, right? It's like, hey, the, these perpetual civil wars, like of which this is, number one but maybe not the last these are bad like here's a way to avoid it maybe you need to look into this kind of government he said but he said it was and that's it was and he's right it's it's a necessity you know it's sort of the inevitable you know ebb and flow of the foundation getting getting too high on its own supply to a certain extent and then getting somebody to come back and and knock them off their perch it's a you know as the foundation is went from being the small time power fighting against the empire to now they're essentially the empire. It's inevitable that they're going to, you know, get soft. It's, it's necessary to restore order, you know, restore balance of the force, if you will. Cause I'm going to talk about in the beginning, Oh, how do, what can we do? How can we possibly overthrow the empire, how, overthrow the foundation? Because we we're trying to do stuff and all they're here to do is just collect taxes. It's, it's kind of like a tea party type situation, you know, would you say that they needed a, a new hope? Could say, could say that. <laughs> I don't know if they're quite ready for a new hope. A new hope. They need a new hope. New, new, new hope Mallow type figure. New, new hope Mallow. Yeah. 
I to, to touch back on Jason's point from before, I mentioned with regards to Miz. I was checking back through it, and it was and when they Miz comes in and uh, he goes. There's a phrase where he shakes Magnifico's hand, and then he goes over, and they say he shit, and he sh- shakes. He shakes Beta's hand man fashion, which I thought was very no, interesting. No, she shook his hand. She shook fashion. his hand man, man fashion, which I don't know right. if that's just it like, like... Like, it was, a, it was a pat on the back for Beta. Like, she could shake <laughs> like a man. Oh, she gives she like a, hang. a feminine right. handshake. But I don't it know. Like a little Not all limp-wristed. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know what you meant by man like, fashion. Like you shake, Peter? My Ooh. limp wrist shakes are a point of sensitivity for me. Oh. <laughs> cool. All right, we'll work yeah, on it. I Get think you're doing some me... kettlebells and strengthen those forearms right up. <laughs> you want to shake man fashion, Peter, which if you're looking for respect in uh, in foundation HQ, you better go in with a strong handshake. Dan, stop talking about shaking your man fashion, okay? This is a, <laughs> a family-friendly podcast. So no, speaking was... of family friendliness, did you guys recognize that Inbor, Inbor uh, oriented us with a new swear? No, I didn't. All right, I'll read the I'll read this the section. He says, so he's talking to Miss, and Miss is getting all hot under the collar, and Inber goes back at him, and this is the this is the text. Inber swore at him because by the dust clouds of space, the foundation will win. The foundation must win. I thought the dust clouds of space was like. That was a good one. Mm. Another good one. Yeah, well, that's all that Inver's good Galaxy. <laughs> that was a terrible one. Oh my god, it was the worst. He probably checked his 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 comeback squaring box. Ah, nailed that one. We've been introduced to a very, I think, important swear word that we haven't mentioned yet, and it's at the tail end of chapter seventeen. And our boy Miss with the our foul mouthed Miss is the one who tells Inber with unprintable pleasure. And I think that uh, Isimov ran out of creative space swears and just started (laughs) using the word unprintable to take the place of something unprintable. It could mean almost anything. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the other thing we we never mentioned, but... Toward toward one one other thing that I that I noticed sort of along the same lines you talk about how things are 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 sort of falling apart. But the one thing that I noticed the the second time I was looking it over. So Miz is is uh I think this was during his meeting with the mayor uh, when he's bent out of shape. And he's smoking a cigar and he basically finishes the cigar and he throws the cigar away and they and they basically so have him spitting tobacco out from between his teeth. And I was thinking just with regards to like how much emphasis is put on various quality of tobacco products. The fact that the cigar that he's trying to smoke is like falling apart in his mouth has a lot to do with saying just the, the state of decay. Not only is just the effort of people decay completely, but they can't even roll a decent cigar uh, for, for a person to chain smoke cigars. That's a, a real big warning sign. Was it also maybe that he was like gritting his teeth while he's trying to smoke his cigar? He's so pissed off at Inber again that he's just like chewing it, the end of his cigar with his, you know, anger and angst, chomping it down. It could be that too. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that uh, if that was it could be both. Porque no los dos. I, I think I like your analysis the better. The uh, the idea that everything's kind of falling apart, like you know. Yeah, your, your filtered cigarettes like aren't smokable anymore because there's not enough fiberglass in them, and yeah, you know things like that. And the and your atomic ashtrays no longer work because of right. the field suppression technology. I mean, what do you think the the mules' ground car and space devices are running on? If you know, I, I'm guessing if you have a nuclear field suppressor, you can't also have some sort of antidote nuclear device or do you think that that is it i don't know like electronic warfare that sorry were you gonna say something peter were you gonna say something Uh, important or should i go first nothing yeah i think it's probably just the spice (laughs) that's keeping the machine running (laughs) the navigation skills that's really what's the difference 
Yeah, so he's using his, his prescience. They're terrestrial navigators, and he is the prescience, so he's able to, to travel in space you know, exactly. outside of nucleics. It's, it's, it's like a, you're reading my mind. Well, Do I'm you pres- have the prescience? I'm, I'm full up on the spice right now. So it checks so, out. So, um, you know, I'm just, I don't know all the ins and outs because I'm not like a, uh, I'm not inside that world or the whole idea of electronic warfare is that you can suppress the opponent's communication channels without compromising your own, right? So you leave your communications channels in such a wavelength or whatever the case may be that they can penetrate your field suppression technology and then you leave your your opponent you know without communication so you can dominate in the you know in the battle space so i'm imagining for myself i'm kind of extrapolating maybe for Isamov. i'm not sure if he thought this through the way he wrote it but um you know it's it's quite possible that whatever kind of field suppression device has been created that there's some means of protecting your own communications and and capabilities from the the suppressive forces I mean- Maybe they're just using gasoline and oil and coal. Like, yeah, it could be. The, the Anacreonian Empire managed to make it to terminus to start threatening people. It's all with just like, you know, unleaded gasoline. It's all tin. It's all tin powered equipment that he has. The tin Trump, industry. Trump could deal with Ponyets, and he's operating on a full full tin based economy. I think. Pon-yets. I mean, my, my thought. I had the same thought that. You know, maybe it's like oh, they've all talked about how barbaric fossil fuels are and how. You know, primitive, et cetera. There are. My thought was, well, maybe if he's running, you know, I don't know if you can have a coal-powered spaceship in terms of energy density, but <laughs> it would be it would be kind of along the same lines. Of, Turn like, coal so in space. <laughs> you like, like don't have consume all the oxygen that the people need to survive. <laughs> Worst <laughs> super combustion that they have in the vacuum of space. No oxygen. They just see some of that sweet, sweet oxygen river. Yeah, I don't know. That planet was so strategically planet. chosen. Yeah. I don't know if combustion works that way, but maybe, maybe not. But so I thought it would be interesting if, if that was, you know, the 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 along the same lines of of the arrogance of the foundation that they're using these primitive technologies that that they sort of underestimated them because they think they're they're not up to snuff uh, engineering wise, and that's what's used to sort of to sort of suppress them, uh, but. I guess we'll find out in the in the days and weeks to come. The other part that I thought was interesting at the back end, as as it's all going down, you know, Selden's kind of talking through it. He just gets shouted over, and nobody's listening because because the Civil War, you know, part gets brought up, and and then <clears throat> basically the the Emperor loses his mind, um, and. Uh, and that all goes on. And meanwhile, Magnifico is doing the same. He's sort of, you know, always on edge in the first place. And he's like, mule's coming to get me. The mule's coming to get me. And then our boy lays him out. It was basically the way he, he wrote it, that he basically raises his fist, basically decks Magnifico and carries him out potato sack fashion, essentially over his shoulder right. out the door. Because they're beta. on a on a planet in the edge of the galaxy, but they still know how potatoes were sacked in the 1950s, <laughs> 50,000 years ago. <laughs> they still sack potatoes today, man. It works. They don't have to put a nucleic in it yet. Yeah. Maybe they're nucleic powered sacks. So, I mean, this is on Terminus, right? In the, in, in the, you know, I don't know how much, fertile land there is on terminus how many potatoes they grow or what their method of bagging said potatoes you know somebody tells me it's like a radiation field (laughs) they back their potatoes in all the potatoes like all the power goes off all the potatoes fall like roll out of their crates and stuff yeah nucleic potato suspensor field packaging that uh how are all these people not sterile that's what i want to know like (laughs) He's constantly like hanging out with radiation all the time. That, that one jumped out. I was like, potato sack fashion? Like, uh, what, is, what are they doing? But, you know, it kind of, uh, you know, they're taking him since he clearly is 
is the uh, the mule knower to the extent, and they're clearing out of Dodge. So clearly, the you know you have the the traders who who still have their ships aren't affiliated with the foundation. You know, theoretically, if they get out, that's that's I guess where the hope is. The new hope, like you're talking about, <laughs> yep. is them escaping. The new Hobart, Hobart Mallow, the Mallow Theater. Yeah, I I find Magnifico highly suspect. Yeah, like he's definitely he's definitely not what he seems to be, right? Yeah, we talked about the Kaiser Soze kind of thing, where it's like you know he's in there as this pathetic figure and he's hopeless and he he can can barely keep it together. Yeah, and he's spinning these yarns about the mule. But, I thought but he can. Play the sonor and penetrate the minds of his audience. Like, yeah. is this not, is this really the characteristic of a bumbling buffoon? Mm. Right? Yeah. Like, what's up? I with mean, that? They, they, they said that he's, he can play it. And when they said, well, I didn't, I heard the music once at the Museum of Ancient Music Parts or whatever, I didn't like it. And Miz says, well, it's probably because you haven't heard somebody knows what they're doing with it because nobody knows how to play it. And meanwhile, this guy knows how to play it and play it in such a way that that is like mesmerizing to the audience. You know, it seems like there's more to him than just the meets the eye. Right. I mean, he was suspect from kind of the get go. Right. He's running yeah. the police kind of throws themselves on their mercy. And it's like, why did this guy like glob on to this couple? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it just seems like there's some kind of ulterior motive at work. Maybe he's in love with Beta or something, but sure seems, seems like he's got. If I was Beta's new husband, who's been married to her for what amounts to like three months, like two and a half space which, week, two and a half, one space two week, two and a half of those months <laughs> have been spent incarcerated away from my wife, and yeah. meanwhile there's some deranged clown yeah. who's just holding hands hold your with hand. some clowny dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I want to hold your hand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah, and like, if, if I'm him, I'm and Torrance kind of like, you know, they ask the question, how's your marriage going? Your father's like, I told you, never should have married that woman off with of some clown, not even two months into the marriage. <laughs> off with some clown. Literally, <laughs> off with the clown, some clown, an actual deranged clown. So, <laughs> someone you know, he picked up panhandling clown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Torrin half hand shouldn't put up with that. So, speaking of, of Torrin. And again, not to bounce around again here, but I, I realized we missed on one important point. And again, Peter, with Did all we your, miss it? with all your charisma, Peter, there's so many things that make me think of you as I'm reading through this book. Um, I'm My surprised you haven't mentioned you mean? it. Your unbridled what? Arrogance, you mean? Arrogance. <laughs> no, uh, this one is in particular uh, related to your fondness for men down to the skin. and in the beginning in the first uh chapter here in the 16th chapter i should say um the encounter where you know the uh these all these traders are on the planet and they're kind of like waffling about you know what are we going to do and you know should we back the mule like you know no we need to go against the foundation and then like the last day that they're there orville gree comes back to Randu after he told him, like, I will never, you know, turn my ships in the same direction as the Foundation or something along those lines. Mm. Um, or I never joined forces with the Foundation. He comes into Randu's room the following morning, scantily, or sketchily dressed, by Isimov's words here, to explain to him how his planet, Neiman, Neiman, M-N-E-M-O-N, has been bombarded from space by treacherous attack, the mule. And so now he's can, you know, he's ready to turn his ships against the mule next to the foundation ships. So so he's in like some kind of like weird barely clothes. Is that weird? is that how I should interpret this? Yeah, you know, I think honestly, to be fair to Isomov, I think he's trying to paint a picture of this guy that like hasn't even barely unkempt. out of bed. He's unkempt. Yeah. He hasn't brushed his co- teeth, hasn't combed his Ragged. hair. Ragged. But he uses the words sketchily dressed. So I, I would have gone with yeah, yeah, either over that or combed either. his hair, which, you know. So like Jason on any given day. 
I was going to say. If I had hair to comb, exactly. Yes. Wow, you do have a beard. Treacherous attack. You could probably, you know, pull some of those Cheetos out of it. Impressive. I I comb my beard once a month, whether it needs it or not. Mm. It's good. It explains the bird in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, that's where we first hear about the nuclear field pressure when he says he's they're attacked, and they said the the our few survivors have reported the mules' enemy's possession of a new weapon, a nuclear field depressor. So he foreshadows that he has the technology, and and it sort of renders them completely incapable of defending against it. You see that such a tool would change the nature of war and possibly make our entire fleet obsolete. Well, isn't that isn't that what happens at the end of um, yeah one of the chapters? Exactly. That's, that's, that's the end of the first chapter, the sixteenth chapter. That's the end of the first chapter. What they say, you know, and then right. But I thought it actually happens at the end of the seventeenth chapter. They're like, oh, yeah, this so thing that's the sixteen. The report is, and then basically the mule shows up on on terminus with the same device, and, and meanwhile, yeah, you know, the whole the whole plan. It's like I was thrown back to. Uh, to the the uh, Weenus episode where, uh, you know, that's uh, an excellent parallel. Harden Harden shows up and uh, you know basically they have this big event and he just brings them to their knees with yeah. with the uh, you know by basically by similar means of just so basically crippling them in the refractory period after the Weenus top top was blown off that that basically they everyone everyone just sort of completely submitted themselves and that was the end and he won and it's almost the exact same thing happens like literally the guy shows up and everyone just surrenders immediately and what was this once great superhuman power is now just ground to dust with minimal fighting and just the whole thing collapses yeah yeah, but not not ground to dust it's just it's like they've transferred power right they haven't Mm -hmm. taken heavy losses per se yeah for Terminus, at least, right? The other, some of the other planets of Cywina, I think, right, is mentioned as yeah. fighting. Like the half of it's been taken, but they're fighting the mule uh, or the mule's forces. And Terminus uh, but just, Terminus rolls just fall, they just roll over. It's like roll yeah. over and immediately offer their belly. Yeah. And just to, to steer you straight, Peter, it's a dictatorial, not dictatorial. <laughs> so, um, there's an important nuance, and this is like, you know, I, I don't know why I latch on to these things, but they strike me. It's like the, uh, you know, the, the mail system that brought the refrigerator back to the sergeant's wife in the previous <laughs> section. Yeah. But so Ebling Miss, the dude, is a university PhD. <clears throat> I'm a little bit curious how does the Galactic University accreditation system function amidst all of the chaos and turmoil that's happening across the galaxy? How do they maintain sufficient stability to accredit universities to grant PhDs to people like Ebling Miss in the field of psychohistory? By mail, like they do in America. They just mail order diplomas. So, but it diplomas. seems like he has knowledge about them, but like, you know, it could be that, yes, the entire system is defrauded and, you know, you could be like with four hours worth of online certification, you could become a PhD of the of the foundation. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. But Is that similar to like the online education that allows you to become a priest of the foundation so you can marry your your friends and stuff like that without. Yeah, very much. I was thinking the same priest. thing, <laughs> you know, you can do that in, in certain religions. I don't know what, what uh, Peter uh, ground rules or his religion are, but you know, it's some, some places it's very easy to become an affiliate, you know, official of the church to, to sort of stand down on church teaching. But so under Peterism, all women are married to me and therefore marriage is forbidden. Mm. Okay. Lice ridden Democrat of the gutter. <laughs> you take that back. And that was that was maybe my final uh, highlight for myself was the uh, you know they call these rebel traitors the Democrats, and mm-hmm. you know I don't think being democratic is necessarily has necessarily ever been 
thought of as a bad thing. Democrats, somebody who wants to say in the way the government goes and the government of the foundation isn't really interested in, in the general opinion of people who right. they have their own reality and they're interested in, you wouldn't want on election to be like, Hey, you guys are terrible. We're voting you out. You know, he's got, right. it's not really important. To yeah, him it's a dictatorship. Right. And it's an inherited one or a kingship. And each progressively, you know, each progressive generation has become more and more, you know, inept. And mm. yeah, I, I took the democracy as like a traditional demo, like democracy, like, you know, power of the people kind of stuff. Not, like you know, he not voted, we, you know, the, he, he considers yeah, Democrats a voting a process. because they want him to be voted upon, not to yeah. have claimed his position through inheritance. Right. Yeah. What's interesting is like, you know, they used to have elections in Iraq they, and Saddam would take 99.7 percent of the vote. You know, they, there's places in, in the world where there's like sham elections where they have an election that happens, but there's never really actually any real choice. So a lot of dictatorial leaders will put on the charade of a democratic election to give the people the bread and circuses that you know, give them the idea that they're participating in the government, even if they're not actually do that. He right. seems like that's not even, you know, why would you go through with the charade? <laughs> that wouldn't be very efficient for my time and it would get in no. the way of my gardening. Think of how many forms required to be filled filled out in that time frame. You'd probably need to vote like in septuplets or something. Seven seven copies of the paper has to be stamped properly. And yeah, yes. I, need, I need to empty yeah. out my nuclear um, ashtray. I I noticed uh, to your point, Dan, that you know we talked about at one point the the uh, Trantor was associated with uh, an expertise in doing everything in quadruplicate. Yeah, and. I noticed that he used the uh, an, an analogy, not overtly, but he mentioned about the current foundation government requiring everything in triplicate. And I thought it was, to me, it was very associative that, okay, the galaxy who is crumbling was at like level four bureaucracy because they did everything <laughs> in quadruplicate. And we're like approaching that at triplicate bureaucracy at level three mm. bureaucracy in the foundation i thought maybe that was intentional i thought that was pretty clever yeah it seems like they uh you know you could tell the writing was on the wall for most of the section that that the foundation was was not the foundation of old and it was sailing along in, 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 with inertia with the idea that eventually so, something would happen you know it, it, you kind of you go back to the bill rios situation where he's on the other side trying to wake the imperium out of its torpor to to do something and he ends up you know getting failed 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 and murdered because he's trying to make an effort and then the first sex part of the section where they're talking about well what can we do on our side to try to you know cause the selden crisis and get things moving and then ps that's what ends up happening. The mule sort of takes their takes their shot for them, and right. and yeah. they probably could have done the same thing. And the mayor would have totally folded if they had tried to attack. You yeah. know. Yeah, cause I thought it was interesting in the vault. They mentioned that, um, like, what is Selden talking about? Because the traitors never rebelled. Like there was never a revolution. Right. He thought that there was going to be a civil war, but there never actually was. They actually united against the mule. And uh, so it's really the antagonist is the mule. It's the external crisis that he said nothing about. So just to kind of bring things, not to steal your thunder here, Dan, but you can restate this if you want, but maybe to bring things to a close, um, where do we think like the mule fits into the story knowing that a thousand you know a thousand years from the selden plans in doc you know initiation we still get the galactic encyclopedia and um and you know there is still more to selden's plan than just the foundation right there's the uh, the other thing going over there at star's end so where do you think the mule fits into the picture? Is it 
true that he's outside of the plan, or do you think that this is Selden using psychohistory to mess with the masses and who've gotten very comfortable being on his path to say, no, 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 you're not on, you know, like he's not saying it, but he's letting these actions that are happening kind of force people out of their comfort zone and say, like, we got to think for ourselves again and, and actually act more according to the laws of psychohistory than by living in the swim lane of being comfortable with the plan kind of thing. So where do you guys fall on, on the two potential paths there? Um, I mean, that the, the one thing that did jump out at me and I was going to bring it up earlier and we kind of went off topic um, was that I feel like whenever Harry Selden shows up, it's always kind of like too late. It's like, hey, look, it, this is what's happened, right? Well, maybe a little guidance would have been good to kind of help us negotiate that. Or are you just like, are you just trying to affirm the victors of history that like things are going the way that they should be going at this point? Um, I think that base, I think that Selden has genuinely made an error here. Um, I think we're in that like lesser percentage point, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to change his whole plan. I think he's just estimating what the actual event will be incorrectly because it is still a catalytic event. The catalytic conversion that occurred (laughs) in the carburetor for the foundation (laughs) completely nuclear. Yeah, so I think that it's probably, it's just that there is a catalytic um, reaction that happens that drives things forward. (laughs) A catalytic, cataclysmic catalyst. A catalytic, catalytic cataclysm. It could be yes. a catalytic the catechism. The catechism the of catechism, Peter yes, requires the a catechism of Peterism. It, it could require the, the cataclysm of the catalysm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think I think you got the point. Yeah. So the snowmageddon <laughs> happens, right? So I think I'm with you. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, so I anyway, think... so it doesn't matter, right? It's that it's that Selden has this. There's a catalyst, and then the empire, the, you know, the the foundation empire has to adapt, right? And then we will move into this new stage. And I'm I'm willing to bet that it's going to be some kind of represent representational or democratic government is going to be what kind of takes its place with um, the traitors holding significantly more influence and power, and terminus still being the main seat. Um, although, you know, it could be, they could go super lateral and like put it on Haven or something like that. Like another resource weak world, um, that is closer to where, you know, the action is happening with the trade federation. What do you think, Dan? (laughs) I think uh, I had taken it that, you know, when he had said, Oh well, you know the you know it was a necessary. The civil war started as a necessary process, and and you know I think it is a civil war. It's just not started by the tra- the traitors in Haven. It's started by the mule who who is sort of some sort of fringe warlord from not not directly affiliated with the foundation, but not necessarily an imperial figure. It's it's that. As you sort of go forward in history, the arcs are there, but you know, you the further and further you get from the initial starting point, the, the degree of error will increase. So, you know, it's inevitable that the foundation will get decadent and that it will cause internal strife that will result in a civil war. You could easily, you know, foresee that in the cultural arcs. Now, whether it happens in 100 years or 105 years or 110 years. And which guy, which world in the multitudinous quantities of worlds that are out there in the periphery is going to be the one domino that flips. I think that's outside of the ability of Selden to sort of to sort of uh, predict. So, you know, I think that my, my thought was that, you know, that that led more to, to the inability of Selden's predictions to to be exact 
as you get further and further out on the time scale. And, you know, whether that's a knock on because for years they've just been like, well, these things resolve themselves and Selden, you know, will take care of it. And the plan is the plan. And that's just not going to be the case anymore because, uh, you know, it's not really feasible going on 500 years that because he gets older and older and older. And they say he looks really old and really weak. You know, one of these times he's going to be dead or the, you know, unless you recorded all of them before he died. But it, it seems like they, they'll have to sort of get through this. Whoever is the end in, in the eventual winner of the Civil War, that's the person who's going to have to take the foundation forward. And they'll be a much more active force rather than the, the kind of passive bureaucratic forces that have been dominating the foundation for the last whatever hundred years or so. I just want to point out that Inver's version of decadence is the lamest version of decadence that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Decadence by paperwork. It's decadence by gardening OCD. and paperwork. It's just excessive OCD. He doesn't even smoke. Does not even smoke. Well, then you, that's how you really know he's a big weirdo. Yeah. That he doesn't smoke. That's exactly. Well, as they say, shirt sleeves are shirt sleeves in three generations. Um, they don't necessarily say what his grandfather was in terms of, you know, he's some sort of super effective leader. And now, uh, you know, three generations well, he was, later, he was inverted. brutal and effective. Then his father was just brutal <clears throat> and he's neither brutal nor effective. Right. Right. Yeah. And I can guarantee that both those guys smoked. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. This, well, you, you know, can't, you can't you can't get not elected as mayor without being able to smoke like man of the people. So if you want right. to not win the non-election, you better cater you better to the masses. At least smoke, smoking. you know. Yeah. Speaking you of nineteen uh, sixties masculine things, we never hear about animals really. Like we heard about like the one like fox hunt thing on the an yak. The nyak. The nyak. The Nick, um, I forgot him. and but we haven't heard about like any livestock or anything like that. Like, are there you know, yeah. are there space brahmin or that, like, plants? Peter, my wife showed me today an article or or pictures of this plant that grows in England called like the gigantic hogweed or something like that. Do you guys know about this? It grows like uh, like four meters high, four or five meters high. And if you touch it, you will have like anaphylaxis instantly. Like your whole, it's like poison ivy your, times a hundred. Your whole arm will blister. Mm. Your whole, you yeah. become a one big blister. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in, it's in Virginia actually. Is that sounds really? fantastic. Where can oh, I get myself one worst. of those? Yeah. It's terrible. It's, um, I don't, is it called hogweed? I don't know. Whatever it is. It's called, it's called like, yeah, no, It causes or, severe yeah. blistering. Like yeah. it's, it's like severely poisonous yeah okay so so like what where end? are all the poisonous and crazy things happening oh. on these planets that are threatening the lives of people like crazy they're just, diseases they're on, and they've all been irradiated into a sliver of of habitable life on these planets there's not a lot of yeah you know. i mean like if you think about it like there's concerns about the um electromagnetic radiation from like all these devices that we're putting up and putting out and how they like are affecting bugs and bats and stuff like that can you imagine all the nucleic radiation that's yeah that's probably destroying the all of this wildlife it's and like no bugs the answer to your own question so there's zero why there's no animals or no plants because it's like three mile island you everything's know, irradiated like, like all the atoll. the entire landscape has been decimated by nuclear fission 24 hours a day seven days a week with every device that there is i bet there's no mosquitoes I'm Probably wondering not. if everybody has like lead underwear that they wear everywhere or <laughs> yeah. what? Like how is the human race surviving? It's clearly not doing yeah. great. Maybe they're yeah, all so like we, we don't hear about like space Brahmin or anything like that. I feel like we heard about potatoes in the first space book. Brahmin. It was like, oh, like there's just enough farming that can happen on terminus to like support this like meager agricultural yeah. foundation, right? It's not like the breadbasket yeah. of like the Midwest. Or anything. You like would that. have a whole sack of potatoes at the same time. To, yeah, to you might have one nucleic net of potatoes, like feeding your populace. 
Mm -hmm. So that brings us to the end of chapter 18, the fall of the foundation. Be interesting to see where we go next with the mule and his forces and uh, whatever portion of the foundation is willing to willing or able to offset his advances. So I've been your host, Dan, from Los Angeles, along with my co-hosts. Peter Calrissian. And Jason Baca. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll catch you again next week. Have Good night, night everyone. Guys. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>